so I have, a, I have just a brief uh, kind of a deeper level discussion to have with you. Um, and it's more of a monologue, but there is a little bit of back and forth. And so one of the things that always used to really bother me when I was growing up is that regardless of what church I went to, the preachers always told the same stories over and over and over and over again. Does, has anyone else ever had that experience before? Like you're sitting and you're like, here we go again. Here's the story of grandpa in World War II and how he came home. And, you know, it's just like, oh my gosh, like how many times and how many different points can this story like illustrate? And then as I moved further in my church experience, it was like I realized that most preachers have like six sermons or less like in their repertoire. And then like for their whole life, they just kind of cycle around in them. And I thought, how incredibly boring is that? And so I face that temptation all the time. And at the same time, I'm trying to like build on concepts. So I hope that I don't use the same stories over and over again, but I hope that you do hear repetition in some of the things I say where you might be like, I've heard that before, but at the same time, it's going a different direction. Because if I ever start just preaching the same sermon over and over and over again, somebody shoot me, okay? All right, I've done this here before. I wanna see if, if we remember at least my perception. What is the gospel? Does anyone have a guess? Good news. The good news. Sherry says the good news. Anyone else have a guess? What is the gospel? The word of God. Anyone else? Nobody. The kingdom of God has come near. You guys got it perfect. Okay? And we get that from Mark chapter 1, verse 14. That says, after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went around and he was preaching the gospel. He was preaching the good news. And what Jesus said was, the kingdom of God is at hand, or is come near, or is here. Is right here, right now. Repent and believe this good news. So that is what Jesus has to say. That was the message Jesus was sharing. Repent, meaning change what you believe and believe something new. And that new thing is that God's kingdom, what God is doing just below the surface, is now here. It's the thing that's at hand. As you change your beliefs, start to notice what God is up to. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus was preaching, which is a lot different than what many of us hear growing up. What we hear growing up can be an array of things, but when Jesus preached the good news, it was... What God is doing in this world is at hand. It's what matters most now. And you need to repent and think that God is not doing stuff and is far away. And you need to understand that God is now close. That's it. That's all Jesus told people to believe. Can you see how good that could be? If like that's the only thing God tells you to believe, like where that could go, how it could open your mind and open your eyes to see lots of really cool stuff that God is doing and how you would grow into seeing God be active in this world and how you could like slowly learn to participate in that and you could slowly learn to recognize it more easily 
and you could slowly learn to encourage people in what you see God doing in their lives. It seems like repenting and believing that God is at work is something that we can all do. Make sense? And that's what Jesus was calling us to do. Kids, raise your hand if you're listening. Ha ha, you guys are awesome. So what went wrong? Because when we talk about that stuff and we talk about church and we talk about God and we talk about spirituality, we talk about a lot more things than that. And the question I've been thinking about this week is what took us away from that shape to having to know all this other stuff all the time and be right about everything so much so that our church is split and denominations form and John Calvin burns a guy at the stake because he believes in free will. What went wrong? I think it's this. People had more questions. Everyone always has questions. What do we do about this? How should I think about this type of person? What should I do about this thing that's happening? And, and, and kind of the question that rises out of that is, what does God want me to do about that? That's like our knee-jerk reaction. Like, what's the most whole or holy thing that I could do about, like, whatever problem I'm having in my life? And instead of saying, I don't know, but I do know this. God is at work in your life just below the surface. And God will present his self at the right time and in the right way so that everything moves toward the kingdom of heaven coming in its fullness in your life or in whatever circumstances. It's instead of encouraging each other like that and then saying like, what do you need from me, Dave? Instead, we said, oh, I'll find the answer for you. Let me, I, I'll find the answer. And then we started flipping through here. And we were like, well, this verse says this, so it must be this. And then I go back to Dave and I go, well, it says here that this, and so I think the answer to your problem is this. That's what Job's friends did with Job, right? And that's what churches learned to do because what happens when people start to come to you because you're the closest thing that represents God, way back historically, that's what churches started to do because when someone's coming to you that, in that way and in that posture and taking that shape before you, you have a lot of power over their life. You have a lot of control over their life. So eventually, you know, the Catholic Church is like, nobody can read the Bible except for our priests and then they'll give you all the answers you need for your life. And we've never really, even though there was a reformation, we never really got away from any of that. And so now we are Christians, believers in Jesus, who want to see God's kingdom and how it is coming into this world. And we want to participate in that. But we have this tension of feeling like we have to answer everything all the time for everyone. And the problem with that, friends, is that the Bible at that moment becomes something other than what it was intended to be. It becomes a book that can give you answers for every problem you've ever had in your life as opposed to something that reveals what God has been and is up to in this world. Here's an example. Has anyone ever read Romans or heard of the book of Romans? Romans is a weird book. 
Romans has a lot of Bible verses that prove and disprove a lot of things if we want to use it that way. And one of those verses is found in Romans chapter 9. And here's how this verse goes. You listening? Because you got to really, you really got to wrap your mind around Romans 9, 22 and 23 if you're going to, if you're going to do this. Here's what Romans 9, 22 and 23 says. And I'm going somewhere with this, kids. I know, you, I know the kids are like, I wonder where he's going with this. I'm going somewhere. Romans 9.22 says, What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, created with great patience people and objects who were created for destruction? And what if God created these people for destruction so that he could make his riches and glory known to the people he created for heaven. And there it is. For thousands of years, when we use the Bible to prove and disprove things, we argue about whether or not God creates people to go to hell or creates people to go to heaven. And then the scholars got involved and called it predestination. And we had entire churches take both sides, and people even kill each other over those issues. So by the time it gets to us, we just have friendly dialogues and engaging, spirited conversation around it, trying to figure out what our faith is about. And we find ourselves talking more than we find ourselves listening, because we've done the research and we know all the verses that defend our side of the debate. Meanwhile, what Jesus had to say and what this book leads us to is the kingdom of God is at hand. God is moving. God is doing things in our lives just below the surface and we are called to repent of believing that's not happening and begin to believe that it is happening. Because if we read this Bible right, it will lead us to Christ. It will lead us to Jesus. The story of leading the Israelites out of slavery. And all of it leads us to this place where humans constantly mess it up and we walk towards Jesus. And if we're walking towards Jesus and understanding that what Jesus had to say was the kingdom of God is, is happening and we need to repent and believe it, then we can maybe start there with the book of Romans. And we could say something like, what if Paul was trying to share the gospel to the Romans? What if Paul, in his letter to the Romans, was trying to share the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand? What if we took that and then jumped into Romans? Well, here's what we know about Romans. What do we know about the Romans? Anybody? They conquered the world. They were the number one military power in the world. Yes, Xander. They, um, they were not Christians. They had a term called the gospel. They, they, they would go into places and say, we have good news for you. This is what we're going to do. We're going to bring water and roadways. I've talked about this so many times at chapel services. But the Romans were the greatest military power, and they had a belief that Caesar, whoever the Caesar was, Caesar had been born of a virgin, and Caesar was God. 
And now you have Roman Christians who are trying to follow Jesus, and at the same time, they're trying to follow Caesar. And they want to believe that Jesus is up to something, that God is doing something, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And at the same time, Caesar is saying, I'm the one who provides all your needs. I am Lord. It is by the hand of Caesar you live and you die. It is by the hand of Caesar you're given the breath of life. And so Paul says this, what if? He has a hypothetical statement. What if God did this? And in so doing, maybe Paul says, you guys think Caesar's bad. You guys think Caesar's powerful. What if God just created people for destruction? Do you realize that God could create people for destruction? God is so much more powerful than Caesar. And then the Roman Christians go, oh, I get it. It doesn't matter that I'm in the most military power in the world. I can repent and I can follow the way of Jesus because God is more powerful than Caesar. Paul finds a way to share the gospel with the Romans. And a couple thousand years later, we mess it up because we have to be right about everything. Maybe we can look at the book of Hebrews. You guys know who the Hebrews were, the Jewish people, right? They sacrificed everything. Like they started their whole thing off with sacrifices. Wake up in the morning, let's do a sacrifice before I go to bed at night. Let's do a sacrifice. Let's, let's actually make holidays and at every single holiday, let's kill something and drain its blood over an altar because that's what God told us to do. And God did tell them to do that because it was better than killing each other. And now Paul wants to share the gospel, that the kingdom is at hand, that God's doing something. And so what does he say to the Hebrews? He says this in Hebrews chapter 10. Read the whole thing real fast while I'm talking. Just kidding. He says, Christ is the final sacrifice. Jesus is the final sacrifice. You don't have to do this anymore. You can repent and believe that God is the one doing stuff in your life and your time of doing is done. You can just repent and believe and learn to discover what God is up to through Jesus in this world. But when we read the Bible like our defense tool or our weapon or our apologetics guide, we take that line and we create a whole theology a theory of how we needed our sins atoned for because God was mad at us and Jesus made God happy and we pin it on one of them and we share that, not knowing that over thousands of years there's been like 50 different atonement theories. Seven of them rose to the top. One of them actually had God and Satan as equals and they kind of fought like yin-yang or whatever that is. There's been all these weird atonement theories that people have come up with because when they read Hebrews and needed to understand and wanted to talk about, well, what do we do about this? What do we do about that? How do I feel about my sin? Instead of saying, I don't know the answer to that, but I know what I'm supposed to share is that God is up to stuff in this world. His kingdom is at hand. It's going to present itself. It's going to reveal itself. It's happening because Jesus rose from the dead and you don't have to worry. God is going to reveal who he is to everyone and to you if we can just repent and believe. Instead, we come up with all these crazy ideas to prove 
what we think is true. And when we do that, it divides us, it separates us, it makes us fight, it makes us disagree. All the while Jesus prays in John that we could just be one. And he made it simple. Here's what you have to believe. That the kingdom of God is at hand. And that he made it possible through what he did for us. So here's what this means. I know it's kind of heady and I apologize. I titled this sermon, Who, What, When, Where, How, and Why the Bible. Because when we hold this book, it's going to direct us in a bunch of different ways or it's going to direct us in one way. It's going to direct me in, I need to know this so that I can be right. I need to know this so that I can prove something. I need to know this so that I can defend something as if God needs defended. Or it's going to lead us to Jesus and the thing that Jesus has to say, which is the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe this now. And in my experience, when we allow the Bible to lead us to Jesus, to believe that he rose from the dead and that he opened the door for God's movement in our lives, what it does is it makes us begin to see how God is moving. And this is why I'm happy to be part of chapel. Because I didn't want to buy a house so that I could, and help a family own a home so that I could get them to read their Bible. I wanted to buy a house and help a family own a home because that seems to be what God is up to. And when you jump into that and you see how much God provides for it, you, it's unequivocally true that that's what God is up to. So my challenge for you as we step into this really hot worship room, it's like, consider it like sauna worship. Like you came to, you know, cleanse yourself of chemical impurities in the sauna. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry that it's so hot in here. My challenge to you is to spend some time this week thinking through your engagement and how you use this thing. Are you looking to it for answers? Or are you looking to it for Jesus? Because if you allow, when you read these words, it to lead you to Jesus, you're going to find that it's easier to believe that God's up to stuff in your life and not that you need to figure it out. Does that make sense? All right, what were my final notes? So that means if the good news is that God is up to something in this world and God is making all things new again, how is God doing this in your life and in the people's lives around you through you right now? Let us think about that. Kids, does anyone need another granola bar? All right. If you want one, come and ask me during the worship and I'll get you one. So Lord, thank you for tonight and thank you that we can be here to close out our week on Thursday night. Thank you that we can spend time together. Um, God, I'm really thankful that it doesn't take a thousand people in a room to feel like a church service. I'm really thankful that we can come together and realize that we're not crazy and that you're doing stuff and we can learn to read your Bible and engage with you, God, 
in ways that you have designed us and created us to. So I pray that we're drawn closer to you tonight and closer together. In Jesus' name, amen.